Hey guys, uh, we're back, we're scary, and we're coming up next with the couple that scares together. Jason. Hey, Nicole. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to The Couple That Scares Together, and we're back for another week and another episode. Yeah? Uh, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. So tonight we have an interesting story. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's really interesting unless you're terrified of UFOs and abductions, then this is then it's not interesting, it's terrifying. But we're going to talk about the story of Travis Walton. So if you have heard of or you watched the movie Fire in the Sky, that's his story, though it was really sensationalized, the movie, in some parts. Um, but we're going to talk about his account tonight. Does that sound good? That's, that's, our, that's our topic that sounds fantastic. Topic tonight. Uh, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, last week's episode. We did the Warrens, and I got so much, I got really nice feedback on that. So I really appreciate everybody who said some kind things about us um, or about that particular episode. I think we took a really deep dive into them as a couple. I know that a few people emailed me and said, hey, you missed this story, or hey, I really wish you would have talked about um, the Conjuring's. And, and that, and I, you know, I, I kind of set it up last week that we weren't going to tackle that that big old story. I definitely think that we're going to revisit some of those stories, like the Amityville horror and the the parent family from The Conjuring, at a at a later date. So I completely understand when you say, "Listen, I wanted to hear more about some of the other um, scarier accounts." I completely understand that podcast would have been three hours if we had delved deep into all of them. And we didn't want to do that. So stay tuned. We're, we're going to definitely circle back around. Uh, I also want to mention that a new show is coming in September called uh, The Devil's Road, The True Story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And it's going to be it's going to premiere Monday, September 7th at 9 o'clock on the Travel Channel. So don't know what that's going to be like, but we're going to watch. Uh, it should be fantastic. We're going to watch and we'll discuss on our podcast um, after we see it. So stay tuned. Definitely. Uh, those two are just, they are extremely fascinating. Whatever okay. you think about them, it, no matter what you think, the stories and the 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 events around them are, are fascinating. So, yeah. So we'll see what kind of documentary that, that, that the Travel Network puts, Travel Channel puts together, but we're definitely going to watch. So stay tuned. Um, I also... Last week, I mentioned that if you left, I don't know if I mentioned last week, one of the weeks, I mentioned, like, listen, please, if you like us, give us a five-star review or on Apple Podcasts or, or whatever. If you don't like us, send me your review, and I will make Jason read it aloud because um, I think that's funny. And I got one this week, and this is actually, I've never actually gotten a really bad review, but I got one, and I'm going to make Jason read it aloud. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here it goes. It's his torture. <laughs> He's not no, tortured. it's not torturous at all. I'm looking forward to okay, it. Okay, go. All right, here we go. So uh, this comes from a listener, I guess, or a former listener. Uh, and she says, I thought I may have found a new scary podcast to listen to. I tried to listen to Skinwalker Ranch Pod, but he wouldn't STFU, which, uh, <laughs> as you guys know, means shut the fuck up. <laughs> Constantly interrupting you. Constantly, she says Constantine, but she meant to say 
constantly making comments uh, that aren't funny. I, I gave up 20 minutes in and moving on to another podcast. Wish you luck, but this is not <laughs> fun to listen to. So Aww. there you have it. There you have it. Listen. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. That's all right. It's okay. I think I, I think I even told you after that one that you interrupted me some. Maybe I did. Maybe. And I got, you know, a little out of control. Listen, I told him, listen, it's a work in progress. And I appreciate the feedback. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to change a whole lot of our, because we really truly are like this. Like this is not something we're putting on. Uh, the best part of it is when she says, but he wouldn't, and she <laughs> says in all caps, S-T-F-U exclamation point. God bless you. Oh, people should know that Jason's mind runs very quickly, and when he has something to say, it's like Michael Scott from The Office. He's got to he's got to come out real quick with it, otherwise he'll forget it. Got to say it immediately. Got to say it immediately. Or it's gone. I I like it's been years. I've put up with it, and I I I'm not bothered by the interruptions. So I'm sorry that you. Well, are. apparently she is, but that's okay. Okay. Keep to, sending them. To each their own. But if you want to send a bad review, <laughs> you may do so. You can email me at the couple that scares together at outlook.com. You can follow us at Instagram by the same handle. Or soon we were going to launch our new website. It's in you, the works right now. It is in the works today. I, today I was working on it with my lovely sister who is so much more skilled about this than I am. And I finally broke down and said, can you help me? So by the time she's done with it and we collaborate, it's going to be amazing. I know it. And when we launch it, I'll let you guys know. And you can tell me on there that you hate us. Please reach out and let me know how you can't stand listening to me. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's talk about UFOs. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. And away we go. And away we go. All right, so first, before we talk about Travis's story, tell me what do you think about, in general, UFO stories and abductions? Because after this is over, I'm going to tell you kind of okay, what I so- think. Um, I recently read a book by a UFO, how do you say this? Ufologist. Ufologist. He's a famous guy. His name is John Keel. He actually passed away about 10 years ago, but, uh, he, Does uh, he identify, read, he identified as a, a self-proclaimed ufologist? He's a, yeah, or well, just, he's a scientist, a researcher. Okay. Uh, give me one second. I should have had it open ahead of time. Well, he's an interesting this, fella. He's fascinating. This guy's name is is uh, John Keel K E E. Sorry, K E E L. John Keel. And the book I read or listened to in this case is called Our Haunted Planet. And in it, Keel kind of breaks down this whole you know UFO culture and theory. And he talks about uh, the the shaping of the universe, the creation of the universe, and how there, it, you know, there are many facets to it. You know, ways to look at it. One of which is through uh, creationism. You know, uh, the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second contingent is. Um, uh, the Big Bang, you know, right. theory, just scientific approach to, you know, um, our planet, and you know, uh, and uh, the third is actually Darwinism. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, that was the second. That's part of that, right? Science, Darwinism, evolution. Yes, exactly. Okay. And and then the third piece, which I found to be really interesting, is this idea that that UFOs 
that uh, that you know aliens are um, that human beings are actually sort of um, like descendants. That we yes, that we are descendants of alien civilization. Yeah, from like you know you're talking thousands of years ago. Uh, you know that there's even that there that there is record of civilizations that have existed mm-hmm. many thousands of years before our recorded history. Well, I think that's now even becoming um, with like Graham Hancock more, and stuff like that. More, yeah, where people, yeah, it's more mainstream, or at least more commonplace. Yes, yes, where like that is now more of a, you know, yes, a mainstream topic, more of something that people agree on. And scientists in the field. I will say... And that's the guy that does the Mothman prophecies, right? John Keel. Yes. Yeah, the book... So, I'm telling you guys, and you know, I know I'm sort of getting off tangent here, but no, this book okay. is it's really still... interesting. I mean, especially like this whole thing. He goes into great detail talking about, you know, like ancient civilizations, uh, the Mayans civilizations, you know, uh, before the Mayans. Uh, he talks about uh, his theories on um, the Atlantis, oh, um, yeah, you know, position that situation. Uh, he talks about uh, UFOs quite a bit. He talks about the Men in Black. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, like it's it's very very interesting. I don't think I ever finished that book. If I did start it, I or I, I don't remember. I need to go back and reread it because I know him from the Mothman prophecies. Yeah, which is my one of my first sort of gateways into this world was sure. the Mothman prophecy is is my favorite um, cryptid story. Crazy. Uh, the Men in Black stuff. Yeah, the like, Men in Black stuff. Super interesting. Super interesting. And he goes into he he talks about like. This idea that uh, that UFOs and uh, these um, alien beings are from two different factions. Yeah. One is the reptilians. Yeah. Which we, is we, really we tease about it. And like evil people. And is that the Anunnaki kind of, or no? Uh, yeah, kind of like that. Okay. Like reptilian beings. And the other are the UTs. Uh, the... Ultra terrestrial, right? So it's so like two I wonder, competing factions. I wonder where the Greys fall into that, because uh, tonight's story is about them. UTs, I think. I and guess. I, so. I mean, I'm not sure. I have to get. Yeah, I mean, I have to really yeah. reach out to a person who knows more about the subject. But, Move on. But the idea is that these two groups are both competing mm-hmm. to and uh, to use human beings. It's almost like. It's a poor analogy, but it's almost like we're like a farm sit. That yeah. was a that was a firework actually that you just heard. If you heard it, a firework just. Hi, we're off. in August. We're still it's doing August fireworks. One. No, it's August two today. Is no, it's it the, the first, first or second? It's the first. It's first. Anyway, this idea that that um, that people, you know, that human beings are almost like, like cattle. Cattle, exactly. Yeah. That we are being farmed for these these these. Um, you know, like UFO civilizations, like these aliens. Yeah. You know, whether it's the reptilians or the UTs, the ultra terrestrials. And they're feeding off of us. Well, I'll tell you, speaking of I, mean, books, I don't know that they're literally no. feeding off. Well, like yeah, energy. They're like yeah. using, yes. And he goes, he goes into, you know, like energy and, and 
how it's just is passed along like he talks about consciousness yeah. the subconscious it's it's really it's pretty crazy i need to go back and reread that or listen to it because i now i have, have i've done a lot of it reading lately about frequency like just having the difference between high frequency and low frequency and, and, and energy levels yeah he talks about that yeah too. and i think i could have a new perspective if i listen to it again what something like something very interesting that he talks about that i've heard people uh whether it's a different podcast like sam tripoli's podcast mm-hmm. or you know what have you um this idea that our senses i don't want to say this our our human senses are extremely limited right in terms of sight and sound and he theorizes that certain you know certain individuals uh, uh potentially you know would um be able to pick up on things that maybe other people couldn't sure perhaps that could explain things like ufos and ufo encounters that is interesting well that's and he also before i forget he also talks about those people who are taken yeah and used for like sexual exploits with aliens like like breeding projects almost okay pretty crazy well i actually have a crazy theory when we get to the end of this that i you had an encounter no no, and this is one thing that I don't want to encounter. I'll tell you what scared me before we get to our, our story is that when the book Communion came out. Have you ever read Communion? No. Okay, so it's not on Audible. I kind of looked because I was going to send it to you. So you're going to actually have to read this book. The cover of the book mm-hmm. has a traditional gray alien, like a gray. Yeah. You know, with the big head like, and eyes. Like mm-hmm. skinny sure. with it. Yeah. yeah. So I remember seeing the cover of this book and being triggered by it. Like, looking at it and being very frightened. Just, and didn't know why. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't even want to know. But some years later, I mean, like, in the last couple years, I was listening to somebody who was talking about the book, and they said when the cover came out on the book. mm -hmm, No, (laughs) there was a large portion of the population that wrote in and said that they didn't understand why, but they were terrified of the cover of the book. And the person that wrote it theorized it was because they had been abducted and didn't remember have you never seen the book i have never oh. i'm gonna wait a minute don't pull it up to the end and right. then you can look at it at the end and react but i i remember being and i could have just been scared but i have to look at it i'm actually kind of scared to look at the cover of the book but it's a frightening sort of proposition that because the home is where you're supposed to be the safest this story takes (laughs) this story takes place outside but when you're doing your normal everyday activities but when you talk about missing time or being taken from your house i mean it's that's terrifying that's what keel was getting into like all these different (sighs) accounts and uh, i mean all he did sounds like is just like he just reached out to people who uh who reported you know um these incidences her yeah yeah no yeah and he really he um during the book he he writes that he only used like a very small percentage of of these uh reports in writing the book because you know chances are that in many cases uh these reports 
could be explained or written sure, off it, as something else. It, yes. like, you know, something in the attic, a squirrel. Sure. You know, whatever it is. Right. Con- your imagination runs amok. Yeah. Even mass hallucinations have been, yeah. Well, <clears throat> it was heartburn or something, you know. Oh, God. Whatever. Uh, okay. Well, we're, today we're going to talk, well, let's talk about Travis Walton. We're going to listen to, or I'm going to read you a piece. This is a really condensed version of his story from the book, his book, Fire in the Sky. There's a new documentary out on Amazon Prime about his story. It's pretty good. So if you want to check that out, I, if you haven't seen the movie or you haven't seen it in a really long time, my suggestion is suggestion is watch the documentary first on Amazon Prime and then watch Fire in the Sky second. What's the name of the film? Give the documentary, the film. it's called Travis Walton. It's just, that's Easy what it's called. Easy to remember. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh. All right, so this is what Travis says. It was the morning of Wednesday, November 5th, 1975. To us, the seven men working in the Apache Stick Graves National Forest, it was an ordinary workday. There was nothing in that sunny fall morning to foreshadow the tremendous fear, shock, and confusion we would be feeling as the darkness fell. This story is unusual, side note, because this contained, it's more than one person's account, okay? Um... It was this whole work crew that was affected. Mm-hmm. All right. We were working on the Turkey Springs tree thinning contract. Basically, thing involves spacing and improving the thick strands of smaller trees to allow for fa- faster growth. By the way, as I read this, I learned way too much about logging. I don't need to know this much. I don't, I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. Okay. That day, November 5th, we were cutting a fuel reduction strip up on the crest of a ridge running south through the contract. Fuel reduction, in case you want to know, is the process of cutting the thinning sash slash into length and piling it up to be burned in the wet season. Slash is all the top tree limbs that they don't need. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to know that? Of course you want to know that. Okay. Well, I feel better that I know that. I feel more rounded. I mean, you know, next time you're playing Trivial Pursuit, you have a logging question. I've I've always said I know an awful lot about nothing so that that this fits useless material i do floating around in your brain all right so the boss mike rogers was 28 the oldest of the seven men okay so relatively young crew he had been bidding these thinning contracts for the forest service for nine years that had been bidding um that was long enough to learn the hard way all the tricky pitfalls of the business so experienced he was getting to where he could fairly consistently gauge the price per acre that would underbid the other contractors and still allow for a profit margin. Turkey Springs was the best contract, profit-wise, uh, Mike had ever been awarded. In fact, he was paid the highest acreage per price he'd ever received. Nice. So obviously, they had a lot to lose, and you know they were having a, he was do, having a nice business going. Sure. So this it wasn't for profit. I well, I'll let you decide that, but I mean, I don't think it was. When we were piling, some of the men ran saws while the others piled. I was running a saw, as were Alan, John, Dwayne, and Kenneth, and Steve were piling up. um, So one group would do one, one group would do another. Dwayne wasn't aware of it, but I had constantly, but I had to be constantly careful to make sure my trees fell as to miss him. His inexperience or maybe over eagerness was causing him to work too close to me instead of allowing a little uh, accumulation and some distance between us. I could not say that for this, oh, but at least he was trying. I could not say the same for Steve. I could see Mike far back down the strip 
restacking the sloppy piles to bring them up to a specification. Steve, t Steve took advantage of the boss's absence, absence to rest his can momentarily on a handy log. He was ordinarily a good worker, but a little disgruntled today because Mike had blamed him from some, some bad piles that Dwayne had made. So when this happened, they tried to, the police, say that there was beef between the people there and that that was accounting for, because Travis goes missing and these men are under suspicion, okay? So, but by Travis's own account, it wasn't anything there wasn't really anything to to beef about. It was just regular stuff. Well, I mean, from a law enforcement perspective, though, it would make oh, yeah. sense. This guy was missing for five days. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, they're the ones he's with. Yep, absolutely. Uh, uh, supposedly, so they're going to... Right. You know, they're going to assume it's them. So he says, I was trying to keep my distance from the other man, but we were coming together on a thick place to one side of the piling strip. The noise of my own saw is loud enough, even with earplugs, ear without revving up all three men in one spot. Just then I saw a shadow and jumped barely in time to escape a fallen tree. I looked to see who had cut it, and Alan, his mocking grin, let me know it was no accident. I didn't let him let on that he was needling me. I just moved farther up the strip to work. Alan always cut like a crazy man. He was faster, uh, the faster sawer than anybody else out there, even me. His speed helped acre production, but it kept him from being up to working every day because he had, and he, they said he had an uncontrollable temper. Um, you know, whatever. He had a way of picking fights. He never finished. Although our differences were forgotten, as far as I was concerned, we were, and we were friendly on the job, I suspected that Alan might have had one or two lingering bad feelings about me. So that's what Travis says in his own words. Okay. Okay. The afternoon sun was starting to cool as we began to... Um, angle steeper down the slope. In the mountains, the sundown comes early and it gets dark very quickly. So the gathering chill was beginning to numb my nose and with summer ending, it was starting to get down to five or 10 degrees at night. This is important. Let me rephrase that. It was starting to get down to five or 10 degrees at night. Okay. I worked a little faster because he's left because he's missing for five days. No, I got right. you. Okay. <clears throat> and he doesn't freeze to death. I worked a little faster to ward off the chill, eagerly anticipating the reprieve of the day's conclusion. Not too long before that, before we could head home. Sunset had, began, had begun 15 minutes earlier, so if we kept cutting in the wailing light, I checked my watch again. It was 6 o'clock at last. Mike was down the hill, and I gave the all-clear to stop work signal. Um, the sound of the saws died. So they load up the chainsaws, the gas oil cans in their 65 International... Do you know what that is? Uh, Ever heard of that is, kind of truck? A tractor? No, it's a truck. Uh, well, it's a truck. After arranging the gas can so they would not tip over and leak on the bumps, Mike slammed the tailgate lightly, tightly. The pickup groaned as its tired old suspension as everyone piled in. Dwayne was by the left rear door, John and Steve in the middle, and Alan by the right rear door. In the front, and I sat by the door riding shotgun. Ken sat in the middle, okay, and of so course Mike was driving. Mm-hmm. The He's seven on the of yep. The seven of us usually sat in the same place every day. Non-smokers in the front, smokers in the back. All right. Mike started the old pickup and climbed north up the ridge toward Rim Road. It was six ten. Barring, barring any breakdowns, we should be home before seven thirty. We left the windows down so we could keep cool off. It was still warm, 
Um, and they lit up, the guys in the back lit up a cigarette. The fresh air was coming in. They say they usually nap on the way back home, way, way to work every morning, but none of them feel drowsy on the way back home. They're just ready to get home. So they're bouncing over water bars in the road, and those are, I had to look it up, but those are humps in the dirt that prevent the road from washing out in the rainy season. So you can just picture the truck is like bottoming out, yeah, like the springs bouncing this along. This place is raw, like mm-hmm. extremely raw. Yep, but they're comfortable in this environment. Sure. All right, just then, my eye caught a light coming through the trees on the right, 100 yards away. I idly assumed that the glow was the sun going down in the west. Then it occurred to me that the sun had set an hour ago, or half hour ago. Curious, I thought it might be the light from some hunters camping there. Headlights or maybe a fire. Some of the guys must have caught sight of it too because the men on the right side of the truck had fallen silent. As we continued driving up the road towards the brightness, we passed in sight of it for an instance. We barely got a glimpse through the gnarled branches before we rolled past the opening in the trees. Son of a, Alan started. What the hell was that, I asked. My eyes strained to make sense of the glimmering through the dense strand of trees, blocking our vision. From my open window, I could see yellowish brilliance washing across our path onto the road another 40 yards away. Intrigued, I was impatient to get past the intervening pines. From the driver's seat, Mike could not look up at the proper anger without leaning over. What did you guys see, he demanded. Dwayne answered, I don't know, but it looked like a crash plane hanging in a tree. Finally, our growing excitement spurred. Mike, Mike um, picked up a little speed so that he could still go up the incline. We rolled past the Everglade thicket so that we could have an uninstructed view. And John yells out, stop, stop the truck. As the truck skids to a halt in the rocky road, Mike, or this is Travis, I mm-hmm. threw up on my door for a clearer view of the dazzling sight. So no one knows quite why he gets out of the truck, but he does. My God, Ellen, Alan yelled, it's a flying saucer. Mike shut off the engine. We watched spellbound. The men on the left side of the truck leaned over so they could see. There, a mere 20 feet above the crown, ground was a strange golden disc hovering silently. Our attention was riveted on that object poised in the air, impaled by the sight. We were held transfixed for one long silent moment that felt like an eternity. The cold, jarring our reality of what was witnessing struck fear and awe to the core of every one of us. Suddenly beholding its vivid, structured, um, summoned all this emotion, he said. You could hear our hearts pounding above the suspended instant of silence. And less than 30 yards away, the metallic craft hung motionless 15 feet above a tangled pile of that um, slash, that, those tree clippings. The craft was stationary, hovering well above, below the treetops near the crest of the ridge. Um, and he kind of describes it a little bit. The golden machine was starkly outlined, outlined against the deepening blue of the clear evening sky. So it's not so dark they can't see it. It's like dusk. The soft yellow haze from the craft dimly illuminated the immediate area with an eerie glow. So um, he said, I estimated the object to be an overall diameter of 15 or 20 feet. It was eight or 10 feet thick. The flattened disc had a shape looked like two gigantic pie pans placed lip to lip with a small round bowl turned upside down on the top. Barely visible at at our angle of sight, the white dome peeked out over the upper outline of the ship. We could see darker, darker stripes of dull silver sheen that divided the glowing area 
is into a panel-like section. So when I'm picturing it, I'm picturing like a traditional flying saucer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's what it sounds yeah. like. There were no visible antenna or protrusions of any kind, nothing that resembled a hatch, a port, a window, nothing. And there was no motion, no sound from the craft, no. which people often say there's no sound. It's the reptilians. Jeez. No, the grays are scary. Um, it was almost appeared to be dead in the air. We glanced from one another, okay, and then Mike decides that he's going to move closer. Or, I mean, not Mike, Travis Don't decides. Don't do it, Travis. I know. The men became alarmed, and then Mike yells out, what do you think yeah, you're hey, doing? Hey, let's, I, yeah. I can see, I mean, I can envision that. Like, well, hey, Travis, listen, man, no. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, Travis will say he was awestruck. Like, he was enchanted in some sort of way with us. Uh-huh. Maybe so we were he's, pulling him in, like, even mm, from that moment. Maybe. He quickly stalked closer to the mysterious vehicle. By the way, to this day, he says his number one regret was getting out of the truck. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Stepping over a low-lying fir sapling, I carefully picked my way through the opening of the trees. I put my hands in my pockets in response to the cooler twilight air outside the truck. Hey, Travis, the men warned me. I stopped walking for a, I stopped walking for a long, hesitant moment. I paused. I turned back Back at the six men staring at me, the sober realization of what I was doing stopped me in my track. And he said, I, he started to wrestle with, what should I do? How about run back mm-hmm. to the truck? But then he said to himself, okay, I won't get too close, but what if somebody's inside that thing and I need to go see? I can run away if I have to. So he was committed. He was going to it, just going closer. Without replying to the guys, he turned and continued his approach. He moved slowly and cautiously. He was about six feet from being directly beneath the machine. Mm. He was bathed in a yellow light, he said, which seemed unbelievably smooth, the the craft, as he got closer to it. It's like a tanning bed. Oh, gosh. Um, He could detect a strange blend of low and high-pitched mechanical sounds when he got closer. Uh, um, it's like a humming. Yeah, like some sort of, of frequency. Like, like some. That's what this guy. He said the frequency. Feel like he talked a lot about like the, like low humming, mm-hmm. like like a dull humming, and then like a higher yes. pitched humming. Yep. That you would, that you that's would exactly hear. what this guy says. He says that the frequencies seem to be above what we can hear and below what we can yes, hear. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like that, that it would go back and forth. Yes. And yes. Like like as if they were communicating. Oh, yeah. Well, this, uh, Travis says this, the strange tones were so mixed that it was impossible to compare them to any sound I could remember ever hearing. So Mike yells, Travis, get away from there. Um, So he looks back, he turns back to the the ship, back to the truck. Suddenly, he's startled by a powerful thunderous swell in volume of the vibrations of the craft. He jumped at the sound. He remembers this, yeah. Like, um, a, like a multitude of turbine generators starting up. That's what he says. He saw the sp- saucer start wobbling on its axis, uh. quickening its motion, and a pattern that looked like it was unstable. And then the same side continued to face me as the craft started to hover at the same ho- uh, height as it wobbled. He ducked into a crouch position when then a tremendous bright blue-green ray shot from the bottom of the craft. He saw and heard nothing. It that's him. what he. That's what. That's where it ends, for him. All he felt was. Uh, he says he felt a numbing force of a blow that felt like a high voltage electrocution. Um, the intense bolt made a sharp crackling or popping sound. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it struck him in the head and the chest. He said he sank quickly into blackness. 
he didn't even know what really hit him. Uh, the men in the truck saw his body arch backward, his arms and legs outstretched yeah, as the it, force of the blow lifted him slightly off yeah, the ground. Yeah, remember yes. that. Like when his, like his back arches back right. and he gets pulled up into it. Well, at this point he doesn't though. It hurls him through the air and then his shoulder hits the ground. This is what the men see. Okay. Okay, his body lands, lands limply and motionless on the ground and Steve yells out, it got him. Dwayne screams, let's get out of here. And then Ellen, Alan screams, get this son of a bitch moving. They were hysterical, they said. So Mike was fuddling with the, the gauges and the you know, ignition switch. His hands were shaking, he said. And he um, like spins the steering wheel, navigates down the road. He yells back, is it following us? That's what they kept saying. Is it following us? Is it after us? Again, so did they go they back left him. for him? Mm-hmm. Or no? I they do. They remember. do. Yeah, they go back and he's gone. So yeah. So then um, they are. They said at this point, just dumbfounded, hysterical. You know, extremely upset. As you yeah, can imagine. like he's their friend. Yeah, I mean, or at least you know they work with him. At the time, Mike was fearful that the saucer was following him. So he just put like me, you know, pedal to the metal. We got to get out of here. Um, like, they didn't even pull up their windows, so they said the passing limbs were hitting them in the face. I can understand They that, didn't care. You're scared. Like, I mean, but, in, I don't know. I mean, I think if I was one of those guys, I would be, I think I would have tried to help him first. Well, after they get down the road just a bit, it's not very far, uh, Mike turns around and says, it doesn't look like it's after us. And then he pause, he puts the, the car in park. And then they start to talk about what they've seen. And Mike says, I saw him falling back, but what happened to him? And uh, Ken says, man, a blue ray just shot out of the bottom of that thing, hit him all over, and it seemed to engulf him. And Dwayne says, I think he's disintegrated. And Steve <laughs> says, no, know? he's in one piece. I saw him hit the ground. Um, and they said, I do want to know one thing. It sure sounded like he got hit by lightning or something. I heard a zap as if he had touched a live wire. And then someone says, hey, we better go back. Yeah. And then somebody else says, no, we can't go back. And Mike finally ejects, let's build a fire here so the guys that don't want to go can stay here in the clearing. And the rest of us can go back and check on him. And just as about, just about, and Mike was going to do that, they, um, they see a another pickup passing in the dark, and somebody says, "Let's go catch that pickup and get help." And so um, they do. They go down and they they stop them and say, D- "Did you see that? Did you see what happened in the sky?" And one of the men in the front of the pickup says, "What was it?" And um, Mike tells them kind of briefly about what's happening. Yeah, like, uh, but I don't. I don't I'm think. I'm not sure what it is, but one of our. Right. Buddy's got out. He got right. zapped by something. Something's wrong. Right. Finally, Mike says, he turns the truck off uh, around and he says, this truck is going back. Anybody who doesn't want to come, get out now and come go wait. But we've been acting like a bunch of cowards. We're all scared. We know that. But we, we shouldn't have left in the first place. And I'm going back. So eventually, though, all the guys get in the car to go back or truck to go back. Um. And so they go back to find Mike. I mean, to find Travis. Mike says, we're going back. And um, they searched with their headlights. They had security headlights. Everyone stayed together. They kind of held it close. They searched for Travis. 
They called out in the woods. They said it was deathly quiet. They heard no bugs, no nothing. Yeah, like no animals nope. stirring. They searched farther north. That's what Alan suggested they do. They searched the crest and around. Saw no sign of them. No sign of any unusual markings. No burns. No disturbed ground. Not a trace of anything. Of a struggle. Um, the longer they continued, the more worried Mike became. And more overcome with emotion. And then, like, he's, like, freaking out at this point. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, okay, guys, we're not doing any good here. Let's go. We got to get help. So they get back in the truck, and they go back to Heber. Um, and they said to this day, they'll never be right after after probably just leaving that mountain without Travis and not, you know, second-guessing yourself should you have looked more. Um, and we know that it wouldn't have done any good because he's not there, but they don't know that. They just don't well, know what's happened I, to him. I, well, uh, perhaps if they would have jumped out of the vehicle, you know, for, right away uh, when he was hit and, you know, reached out to get him, you know, ran over yeah. to him to offer some assistance, to offer some help. Yeah. Perhaps he might not have been abducted. I mean, if that's what really happened, perhaps right. they could oh. have been avoided. Yeah. Perhaps it would have, they would have taken more than just Travis. I mean, who knows? But perhaps if they would have reacted quicker and sooner. Right. And not left the scene, like, yeah. You know, as in like the roadside immediately. Yeah. Then maybe like that wouldn't happen to Travis. Yeah, yeah. So Ken is the one who says we're gonna have to go tell the authorities about this. So they they go down to do that. All right. So now let's go back to Travis's account. He remembers he he was waking up and he was moaning. Um, his first glimpse. It's the reptilians. It is, well, returning to consciousness, he got this overpowering sense of pain, okay? And he thought, oh, damn, uh, like excruciating pain. He was going in and out of consciousness. He felt badly burned all over him, even on the inside of him. He said he felt burned. He was laying on his back. Uh, like like a radiation. Yeah, similar kind of, to that. I wonder, well, like, they don't say if he ever had any radiation burns, but... Um, so he doesn't try to move or even open his eyes. He felt really weak. And then after some time, he tries to move his arm. And he tastes in his mouth a metallic taste. Well, I think radiation, that's one of the side effects too. He said his mouth was dry and he was very thirsty. He remembers that. Oddly, he had weaknesses in, in his muscles, but they didn't seem to come from hunger. He felt tremendous, like he said, trembling and odd. He felt... um he just felt something was terribly wrong. So he finally drags open his eyelids. He, can see, he can't see anything right away. Then a blurred image begins to, to come into his view. Um, and it gets kind of crazy. He could make out a kind of life source above him. And sort of the fixture, he said, was like a triangle about three feet by one and a half feet. And the light that came from that... He, he For a minute there, he thought, um, am I in a hospital? And then he kind of thought, what's the matter? Why is the ceiling all crooked? It's too small at this end. It's too large at that end. He said it just, something was, he said he felt like he had vertigo. And then um, as he was looking at the op-shaped ceiling, he, he said it was more triangular. Oh, God, that's a Muppet. And um, 
he felt like somebody had whacked him with a baseball bat. Um, so then he thought, oh my gosh, maybe I was hurt and I'm in the hospital bed. So like all of this was happening, you know, as he's coming to in and out of consciousness. And his account, he's always remembered what's happened to him. But he did undergo some hypnosis. We'll talk about it after after we're done with his story here. That he said didn't really reveal anything, but cleaned up a few of images, like sharpened some images or whatever. And but after this encounter, such as what? Well, just some of the details. Because remember, I'll tell you, he was gone five days. It's a lot of detail. So he doesn't remember all of his time there at all. But what he does remember, and but he said. After this happened, he was scared for a really long time. And then when he went through hypnosis, it did sort of take the edge off of what he did. At the time, we didn't have something called post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. They called it shell-shocked or yeah. you know, military terms about that. But clearly, he was suffering from something like that. And he said the hypnosis made it was easier to cope after that. All right. So anyway. Okay. So he was... Um, he said he remembers being very hot and humid, and the air was almost like stifling. It was really stale. He felt sweaty, and um, he's he was feeling them for his jacket. It was like bunched up under his arms. Yeah, there's no air conditioning out there. Well, maybe, I so. guess. Like you think that these and, people well, he would said, have air like rationally, he was thinking, "Why? I wonder why the nurse hasn't taken my jacket off." Because he still thinks, "Well, maybe I'm in the hospital." Yeah, it's not. And he still had on his, all his work clothes, even that his makes boots. Sense. And he said, "My, ja- I just remember thinking my jacket's too warm. I must be injured so badly that they, there's no time to take off my coat. You know, they I'm just a- have your pants off, Travis. <laughs> just your pants. You can keep your boots on. Um, then he said he felt something pressing down on his chest. Lightly. It's the reptilians. It was cool and smooth. And he looked down and managed to hold his eyes on long, um, open long enough to see that his shirt and jacket were pushed up around his shoulders. Well, so what's he seeing? Exposing his chest and abdomen and oh, a strained no. device." curved around his body it was about four or five inches thick and it could feel like it was extended from his armpits to a few inches above his belt it curved down like in the middle near his rib cage it appeared to be shiny and gray metal or maybe plastic he doesn't know okay so travis says i looked past the upper edge of the device and i could see blurry figures of the doctors leaning over me with white masks and capes and caps they were wearing unusual orange color surgical gowns and I could not make out their faces clearly. My vision was not clear yet. Then the sudden horror of what I saw rocked me as I realized that I definitely was not in a hospital. I was looking squarely into the face of a horrible creature. It looked steadily back at me with huge luminous brown eyes the size of quarters. I looked frantically around me. Three of them were there. I struck out, I struck out at the two on my right, hitting one with the back of my arm, knocking it into the other one. My swing was more of a push than a blow. I was so weakened. The one I touched felt soft through the cloth cloth of its garment. The muscle of its puny physique yielded with its sponginess that was more like fat. The creature was light and had fallen back easily. I lunged unsteadily to my feet and staggered back against a utensil... um, arrayed bench and followed the curve of one wall i leaned there heavily keeping my eyes riveted on these horrid entities my action had caused the device across my chest to crash the floor no wires or tubes connected me to anything it rocked back and forth on its side the rocking sent 
sh shifting beans of greenish light onto the floor from the underside of the machine. So some one that machine was some sort of device that had some sort of light emitted from it. Here is a rendition from the book. This is what he saw. So they are three figures, eyes brown, size of quarters. Yeah, they said they were very puny, wearing orange scrub like, likes. Little like skinny dudes yeah. with like gray faces and heads. Yeah. Black eyes. Well, you know, he says large like, brown uh, eyes. Large brown, excuse mm -hmm. me. Size of quarters. Uh, and they're wearing like... like Orange. Well, it looks like they're wearing like orange or red like track suits. Like, like jumpsuits from the 70s. Yeah, like... Yeah. yeah like... Oh, it's... Oh, I, I, I'm... Is that an alien or is that Burt Reynolds? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, he says, my aching body would not do what I told it to. My legs felt too weak to hold me up and I leaned heavily on the counter. The monstrous trio of humanoids stare, started toward me. Their hands reached out to me. With the superhuman effort of a cornered animal, I crammed the, the strength to defend myself, fighting the splitting pain in my skull. I grabbed for something from the bench to fend them off. My hand seized a th thin, transparent cylinder about 18 inches long. It was too light to be an effective club, but I needed something sharp. So I tried to break the tip of the tube. I smashed the end of the glass light wand down on the, on the slab that I was laying on and it would not break. I sprang into a fighting stance, my legs wide to brace for an attack. I lashed out with the weapon at the advancing creatures screaming desperately and hysterical threats. Um, screaming like, keep back, damn you. Um, they halted. In a snarling crouch, I held the tube threatening behind my, behind my head, and I felt hopelessly trapped. I was surrounded with my back against the wall. They stood still, mutely. They were a little under five feet in height. They had a basic humanoid form, two legs, two arms, hands with five digits on each, and a head with the normal, normal head arrangement of features. But beyond the outline, um, there was nothing else that was similar to a human. They had thin bones that were covered with white, marshmallowy-looking flesh, they had a single piece of coverall suits. It's like Stay Puff from Ghostbusters. <laughs> Made of soft, like, um, uh, um, what does he say? Like, um, uh, it's like scrubs. Yeah, but he said more of like a suede material. Burt Reynolds. Orangish brown, and it was a, a orange brown in color. They could not. He couldn't see any, um, like you know, kind of grain in the what material, about, like, like cloth has. Genders like male, female. Couldn't take nothing. Nope. Mm Unisex. Mm -hmm. Now, this sort of... This, Indistinguishable. Yep. In fact, their clothes did not appear to have any seams, no buttons, zippers, or snaps. Oh, they're they wore all the no, same. Yep. They wore no belts. There are loose, bellowy garments gathered at their wrists, where, or perhaps ankles. He didn't even know if they had those. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have any kind of raised collar at the neck. They wore simple pinkish tan footwear. He couldn't make out the details of the shoes. Probably on their, Crocs. On their feet. God, if we evolved into Crocs. Because I have a theory wear. about this. But if, oh God. That's what they wear. I'm they telling very you, that's small their plan. feet about the, the size of a four by his measure. <laughs> oh, like a kid. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Bo's feet. Yeah. Well, yeah. When they extended their hands toward me, they noticed they had no fingernails. Their hands were small, delicate, without hair. Their round uh, fingers looked soft and unwrinkled. Smooth skin, so pale it looked chalky, almost ivory color. Their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. No hair, note these right. guys, no hair. Well, listen to this. One theory is 
that these kind of abduction stories are actually us from the future and that we've evolved into this sort of creature. Oh, God. That we don't need hair anymore. We don't need fingernails anymore. We don't need a muscular body. That we that this is what we've become. That's so one like, theory. Why am I going to the gym? I mean, Stop doing it. Stop, the, Stop doing uh, it. Let your head get no, real big. No, God. Mm. I don't want to. Like, no. No, thank you. Okay. They had bulging oversized craniums, a small jar, jar uh, structure. Um, they had thin-lipped mouths, which were, you know, narrow. Um, no sense of, like, crink, ten, he said teeny, maybe crinkly lobes of ears. Miniature rounded nose, oval um, nostrils. Very, teeth like, at all? Doesn't say anything about teeth. But he did say those bra- those eyes, the irises, uh, were twice the size of a normal human's eyes. What's an iris? The middle of the eye. Gotcha. Okay. So if you're talking about like sensory evolution, like your, uh, your yeah. senses are evolving. These guys are bringing in more light. Yes. Yes. You would be able to see more uh, like spectrum. Mm-hmm. No lashes, no eyebrows. Like, first of all, all my makeup is out there. <laughs> all the things that you I... You don't need it. All my quaffing. No, these, these listen, they're... Yeah. There's uh, men, women, whatever they are. He said, I did not no hear them speak the entire time. Their mouths never made any kind of sound or Maybe motion. Maybe I threw about that. Maybe because they don't have to speak. They can just kind of, they can uh, communicate back and forth right. without speaking. Like ESP. Yeah. Can I ask, I wonder if you would still interrupt me if you couldn't speak, but you would just do it through ESP. Like you would just made my brain interrupting. Yeah. No, I was still doing it. <laughs> Be the same. Okay. The only sounds I heard were those movements and my own voice. Just as I gritted myself to spring at them, they abruptly turned and scurried from the room. Little bastards. They yeah. just annoy me. Like, yeah. I want him to just, I just want him strangle to a couple yes. of those. They went out the door, opened door, turned right, and disappeared. Um, oh, we gotta yeah. get out. We gotta he get said it was pretty help. anticlimactic because he was getting ready for a fight. He's six feet tall. Uh huh. So he said he felt like adrenaline coursing through him. Oh, yeah. And he was just trembling uncomfortably you know, uncontrollably. He collapsed against the bench, like started trying to slow his heart rate down. He was like gasping for air, afraid that they would come back in the room. He looked towards the door. He saw nobody. Um, then he was looking around for things to do, to defend himself. And he noticed all these strange instruments lying on the bench. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Like a bunch of probes. Mm-hmm. Oh. There was nothing he recognized, but he saw chrome light objects that reminded him of being in like a laboratory or a doctor's office. Obviously, he's never been to the gynecologist. Um, all of the uh, all of the objects were too small to be effective as weapons. Yeah, we just lost like a bunch of. I'm Paul. Okay, there. fine. Well, Jeez. fine. If you're listening, you're a woman. There's nothing scarier than a tray of gynecological <laughs> <laughs> instruments. Or if you've ever had a baby and they reel in a tray of stuff. Come on, man. Oh, stop that. There. It's terrible. That's enough. No. Scaring people off. I'm now. telling you. Yeah. No. I scare myself off. I was more afraid of being hurt by some of those instruments. Ugh. I touched nothing more. Throwing the clear tube uh, that I still was holding down, I threw it on the floor. He said, I got out of there. What do you mean he, what's he, mean he got out of there? Out of the room. Where did he go? Well, he said he, as he went to, he went to a curving hallway about three feet wide outside the door. The ceiling of the hall gave off a faint, undis- like unnoticeable illumination. He looked to the right down the narrow and a passageway, the directions the aliens had run, and there was no one in sight. So frightened, he ran down the narrow corridor he, into the cramped hallway. He turned into another one that was really tight. He dashed past an open doorway, 
on my left without looking in only 10 feet down the hall from the door that he just exited and he caught a glimpse of a room but he was too afraid to stop he said um so then he like he was like frantic i guess he saw another doorway 10 more feet ahead of the right and he slowed down to walk as he neared it he said maybe this would be my way out the door was only a few feet ahead of him on the right and in the inside of the curve of the hallway and he slowed down turned and stopped in the opening he looked in there cautiously and he saw a round room about 16 feet across with a dome ceiling about 10 feet high equally spaced around the room there were three rectangle outlines resembling closed doorways no one was there the room was totally empty except for a single chair that faced away from him. Oh, the creepy... Oh, my God. So he's probably wondering, like, Where is what's it? on the other side of the... Well, first oh, of all... those doors. Who's coming for me? The fact that you're, like, running around this place, you have no idea where you are. No. He doesn't like, know what that's he's... That's got to be so scary. So scary. And then, he like, he... So he gets out of there. He's scurrying through, like, the spaceship or mm-hmm. whatever the heck... You know, wherever this thing is yeah. that he's in. Yeah. And then there's one chair mm-hmm. and he's not quite sure what's even on yep. like what's in the chair on the other side. Yes. So he goes into the room. He approaches this high back chair. He thought there might be somebody sitting in this chair. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So he circled around it keeping his distance, checking to see if anyone was there. He followed around the, the curve around the wall so that he, you know, was right kind of kept keeping his back against the wall. He was ready to retreat at any moment if he saw something he's hideous. He's like ready to like spring like an yes. animal, like yes. literally just. Yeah, he sees like nobody. Senses and oh emotion like adrenaline just going crazy. Yes. So as he goes around, he sees the chairs unoccupied, and like he like has just like palpable relief, and then he glances towards the open door, and then. Um, he says a very curious thing about is about to happen. The closer he gets to gets to it, the wall the darker the room became and small points of light became visible like through the walls and even the floor. And so and when he stepped back, the effect diminished. So think of like a sci-fi movie when you're walking and it's lighting up yeah, as you walk. Lights like that, up as you're moving. Mm-hmm. Like that technology. Away, yeah. He stepped forward and it increased again, the points of light yeah, no, I brighter got you, I got and then you. back. Like, with his own movement, his right. body, whatever. But when Travis is telling his account, none of these sci-fi movies are out. Like, this technology, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, that's not out yet. Like, nobody has any information about this. I think a lot well, of those... They sci- will. Well, yeah. Sci-fi movies took it from this. Probably. Well, I mean, Men in Black, the movie. Yeah. Itself. Like, oh. John Keel... References and again, I don't want to you know. You know, you're really get off course. We should do a whole episode just on him. He's fascinating, and I, I think know. we should. But he references Men in Black, and he wrote that book in like 1971. Yeah. So he said it was like or, he stir- published it. Excuse yes. me, in 1971. Yes. So. Um, he said it was like stars coming into view in the evening, only much faster. The matte gray of the metal wall just faded out to be replaced by glinting, speckled, deep black of space. He looked at the controls on the chair. On the left arm, there was a single, short, thick lever with an oddly shaped, molded handle atop some brown material. It's like Atari. Oh, God. On the right arm, there was an illuminated lime green screen about five inches square with a lot of black lines that intersected at each angle, like at each other at angles. That's like a Tory. Mm-hmm. Under that, a square of 
approximately 25 colored buttons arranged in at about five vertical rows with one, with one color for each row. He looked for symbols or written words and found none. People so right overseas, now, this doesn't seem like all that exciting. I mean, because we've seen overseas, this. just wait a second, or yeah. like those younger than like, say, 40, you're going to be like, what the hell is Atari? I, I, I think people go. overseas probably know that. Do they do? Yeah, like what Xbox, about, Nintendo, they know Atari. Do they? What yeah. about people like, say, if you're 30 or younger, do you have any idea what Atari uh, is? I think you probably know. Like, oh, it's so vintage, Atari. Yeah, yeah it's cool again. Right. Yeah, maybe. All right, go, I hope you know. Go ahead. If you don't, if you don't whatever. Google it. Yeah. So he looks for symbols, no symbols, no words. Um, he said... He was desperate at that point, but, like, curious and, you know, in the same way. Um, he thought maybe one of the buttons opened a door or something. On impulse, he went ahead and pushed one of the green buttons and looked around the room and listened carefully. Nothing happened. It's like a, like a, um, it's like a mouse in a, like a yeah. labyrinth, like yeah. a maze. He's trying to get out. Like yeah. that, that's what it feels like. It does. To this. He says when he pushed the, uh, another button, he noticed the lines on the screen moved. And so then he recklessly pushed another button, and the lines and the angles slid down, but then nothing happened. Um, ba- basically, nothing happened with that. Trembling, he sat down on the hard surface of the chair. He put his hand into the molded T-grip of the lever. The handle was slightly small for his hand. The whole chair seemed a little too small. He rotated the handle of the lever forward, feeling the slow, fluid resistance of it. I felt suddenly disoriented as the stars began moving downward in front of me in unison. Quickly, I pulled my hand off the lever and returned to its original vertical position, and the stars stopped moving but remained where they were when I released the lever. Like, do you think, like, let, let's just, let's just what? fly this thing. I'm not even sure what that, yeah. What well, that's what he thinks. That? Is this thing flying? Can I crash it? Should I, I don't want to get off course. What if I tamper with something and then it's a worse situation? So he gets out of the chair. He watches, walks to the edge of the room. And as he did, the stars fade out off the surface of the wall and the ceiling and the floor. And he moved over to one of the rectangles that resembled a closed door. Okay. He scratched the edges for a sign of like a switch or an opening mechanism, seeing none. He put his eye to the crack and could see, he could not see any light. He looked around for some kind of symbol or writing to figure out what, what was going on there and saw none. He walked back to the chair, stood beside it, looked at the buttons. He was thinking about pushing him again when he heard a faint sound. He whirled around and looked at the door and there standing in the doorway was a human being. A person? Mm-hmm. He stood frozen to the spot. He was a man. Man or woman? A man. Oh. About six feet two inches tall. He was helmeted head, barely cleared the doorway. Stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. He was extremely muscular, um, evenly proportioned. He appeared to weigh about 200 pounds. He wore a tight-fitting, bright blue suit of soft material like velour. By the way, if the future is velour, I'm happy. It's comfortable. It's um, Burt Reynolds. It's... No, it's Shatner. No, it's George Costanza. George Costanza. No, it's like a a young Shatner, man, when he's back in the day. His feet were covered with black boots, a black band, or a black belt wrapped around his middle. He carried no tools or weapons on his belt or in his hands. No insignia marked his clothing. George Costanza. He said, I ran up to him. Yeah, covered in velour. Remember? I know. For like, like, he was like, I'm going to wear all velour. He's like a strapping young (laughs) lad. And the first thing you say is George George Costanza. Costanza. Yes. 
I ran up to him, exclaiming and babbling all sorts of questions. The man remained silent throughout my verbal barrage. Right. Um, I was worried by his silence. He took me firmly but gently by the arm and gestured for me to go with him. He led me out of the room and hurried me down the narrow hallway, pulling me along behind him due to its narrowness. He stopped in front of the closed door that slid open into the wall. I did not see what caused it to open. The door opened into a bare room so small it looked like a foyer or a section of a hallway. The door slid quickly and silently behind us, and again, I attempted to talk to the man as we stood there. No answer. He spent approximately two minutes in this metal cube, cubicle, um, no more than seven by by five by 12 feet. And then a doorway the same size of the other, other door directly opposite it slid open. I mean, can you imagine? The brilliant warm light that came through the opening into the door into the airlock room was almost like daylight in color and brightness. Fresh, cool air wafted in, reminding me of springtime in the outdoors, making me realize just how dark and stifling that place had been. What a relief the fresh air was. The air moved around me in soft, fluctuating current. I stood and inhaled deeply the clean, cool breeze. The last tinges of the ache in my head and my chest almost completely disappeared. I had nearly forgotten the discomfort that had been with me constantly since I regained consciousness. I descended a short, steep ramp seven or eight feet to the ground i look around to discover that although i'm outside that dim humid craft i was not out of doors i was in a huge room the ceiling was sectioned into alternating rectangles of dark metal and that gave off light the ceiling itself was curved down to form one of the larger walls in the room and the room was shaped like one quarter of a cylinder laid on its side the outside of the craft we had just left was shaped like one we had seen in the woods but very much larger about 60 feet in diameter and 16 feet high it did not emit light instead it had a surface of shiny brushed metal luster it seemed to radiate a faint heat from its hull the craft either sat flat on its bottom or if it had legs they were only a few inches high and it sat nearly in the middle of this large room on my left towards one end of the large room, there were two or three oval-shaped saucers reflecting light like highly polished chrome. I could see two of them very clearly and a silverly reflection that could have been another shiny rounded craft. They were about 40 or 45 feet in diam diameter, quite a bit smaller than the angular vehicle I just come from. By the way, if I'm ever abducted and somebody was like, how big was it? I have, I'm terrible. I'm terrible about that. Like when people give me directions and they're like, oh, you just go five miles and then you turn north. I'm like, listen, Lewis and Clark, do I go by the Chick-fil-A or by the Hardee's? Like I'm terrible at anything that has to do with distance or measurement or anything. Chances are if you uh, get a duck, you won't have to worry about that because it'll be in the back of a van. So you'll, you'll, be, you'll be able to figure it out pretty easily where you are. You know, that's my fear. I'm, I'm more afraid of that than I'm. Than I am. And the back alien. of the rape van. Oh, she be she big babe she be great big girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta tell them, you know, where that's from. You can't just that is from Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill, and my friend Susan says it all the time. And especially because we work at work, she'll say that, and I almost pissed myself laughing. It's the funniest thing in the world. Yes, but when she when he yes when he opens the door and asks if the girl's a big fat girl, big, is she great big girl? That's the best. <laughs> but no, I'm terrified of being abducting. What are you looking for? Okay. So he sees, he's now in this big old room, 
And at the end of the hallway, he's now going past, you know, going through this, um, this big hallway. It's that, a labyrinth. It's amazing. Yes. God, this poor guy. Yeah, but now he says he feels calm because he, he, for whatever reason, some of his anxiety has gone away with that fresh, cool air that they pumped in there. I guess. Mm-hmm. He says at Here, the end. Travis, take this fresh air. Yeah, it's not full of stuff. At the end of the hallway, another pair of double doors. He watched closely this time. Um, he did not see anything, but again, the door slid silently back from the middle. We entered a room approximately 15 uh, feet square with another eight foot high ceiling. The room had a table and a chair in it, but my instant, instant interest was immediately focused on the other three humans that were in there. Mm-hmm. Two men and a woman were standing around the table. They were all wearing velvety like, blue uniforms. Playing ping pong or something? No, like the man, the first man's, except they had no helmets. The two men had the same muscular, uh, you know, build, um, same good looks as the first man. The woman also had a face and figure that were, um, he said, like, you know, what you would think is a great-looking woman. They were smooth-skinned. They had no blemishes, no freckles, no wrinkles, no scars, no moles. They're harvested. Like, well, or, there's, or they're, they're advanced. They're, yeah, there's something yeah. going on. Their striking good looks Strange. Um, were obvious. He said they shared a family-like resemblance, though they weren't identical. Um, he said, would someone tell me, please tell me where I am. And, and he, then he said, started asking like, what the hell is going on here? What is this place? They didn't answer him. They only looked at him. Um, though not unkindly, one man and the other woman came around the table. They silently took each, took me by my arm and led me toward the table. Um, he said, I didn't know if I should cooperate or not. And they wouldn't tell me anything, but I was really in no position to argue. So I just went along with it. They lifted me easily onto the edge of the table. And he said, I started to protest. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just tell me what you're going to do and began to resist. And all three of them, uh, began to gently push him downward on the table. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, he was looking up at the ceiling covered with panels of soft glowing oh, white light they do to him? with a faint blue cast. Just, why do you always think it's terrible? Well, because, uh, I don't know. He's yeah. getting bit over a table. Okay. He said, I saw the woman suddenly had an object in her hand <laughs> from out of nowhere. It looked like one of those clear, soft plastic oxygen masks, only there were no tubes connected to it. The only thing attached to it was a small black golf-sized uh, sphere. She pressed the mask <laughs> down over my mouth and nose, and I started to reach up and pull it away. Before I could complete the motion, I was rapidly became... Um, unconscious and um then he he's like oh i saw was a golf ball with a mask yeah (laughs) like um then the next thing he remembers consciousness like next thing he remembers he awakes to find himself on the cold pavement in in heber arizona he was lying on his stomach his head was on his right forehand, forearm, he remembers. Cold air brought him back instantly awake. He looked up in time to see the light turn off the bottom of this curved, gleaming hull. As he raised his head, the white, latch, the white light caught his eye just before it blinked off. Um, then he just sees the silvery disc hovering four feet above the pavement. It must have been about 40 feet in diameter because it extended several feet off the side of the road. It was too large for the highway, and it extended past the roadside to my left to clear um, 
to clear the side of the highway. So, like, you know, yeah. So that's what he sees. He said he noticed a faint warmth radiating from his face. Remember, it got down to what? What degree? Uh, five to ten. Uh-huh. And then abruptly, it shot vertically into the sky, this, this disc, creating a strong breeze that stirred the nearby pines. He said he saw them blowing. Gave off no light. Um, and then it was almost instantly out of sight. The, he said the most striking thing about the department, depart, uh, departure was quietness. It seemed impossible that something so large, moving through the atmosphere at such speed, would not have streaked through the air or even broke the sound barrier with a sonic boom. Yet it was totally silent. He said he scrambled to his feet. His legs felt rubbery. He swayed and then caught his balance. He looked and recognized uh, part of the deserted uh, stretch of highway or the, the, not highway, the curving road, um, as the highway ran down the canyon from the west, and he runs down to a service station. Um, he didn't see any cars on his way. He went to an Exxon station, dialed the operator. Of course he did. Mm-hmm. Exxon. Uh-huh. Shout out. Uh-huh. Um, and then he finally gets a hold of his brother-in-law, uh, Grant, and it was 12.05 a.m. Imagine you get that phone call, like, after five days. Well, Travis at this point doesn't know it's five days. Well, okay? his brother But, yeah, his brother does. Um, he said, I was an incredible mental state, difficult to describe. As best I can remember, I sat, I shouted something like, they brought me back. I'm out here. Please come get me. Please come get me. And he said he was shaking. Um, he, Grant, is not amused. He thinks it's a cruel joke. He yeah. doesn't think it's Travis. Who the hell is... He yeah. says, oh, I think you have the wrong number. And he tries to hang up. And Travis says, wait, 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 it's me. And he then Grant says, where are you? And he says, I'm at the Exxon station. And he says, okay. And he says, stay right there. I'm going to come get you. Just hang on. And he drove three miles from Taylor over to Snowflake and found... Um, found um, he said he found my brother, Dwayne, at my mother's house. He told Dwayne about the car. And he said, I doubt it's really him, but we got to go see. We got to go see if it's him. And um, they were 33 miles away. And then um, Grant says, I'm so glad to see you. And all of a sudden, Travis just starts saying they were awful. White skin, great big eyes. And he's like sobbing. And Grant says, take it easy, Travis. You're all right now. Did they harm you? Are you Okay. And he just says, no, but those eyes, those horrible eyes, they just kept looking at me. So um, Dwayne says, you're okay. That's all that matters. We've been worried sick about you. It's already after midnight. I must have been unconscious for a couple hours. That's what Travis says. Because I only remember about an hour and a half of being inside that thing. And Dwayne and Grant look at him and say, Travis, feel your face. And Travis reaches up and feels his face. And he has a week's worth of growth on his face. And he says, dude, you've been missing for five days. So that's his story. They take him to the hospital. And meanwhile, meanwhile this is going on, when the, the, the guys came back to find the authorities and the sheriff and the, the local police department, they, um, they canvassed the area. They start bringing these guys in over the last the, – the guy's story – you know, this is Travis's account, mm -hmm. right? The guy's story's account, and the documentary goes into it, is in a different way horrific because the police are like, just tell us where the body is. Yeah. It can be all over. Yeah. And each guy, don't quote me, 
either five out of the six guys or all of them took lie detector tests. One guy I don't think did. And they all came back that they were telling the truth. I remember the movie now. Yeah. You know, just going through this, we, 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 um, uh, we watched it a while ago. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's the part I can remember is these guys. Like, because the this, authorities. This were... happens and they go to the cops and yeah. the cops like do not believe them. Nope. And these guys are like adamant that, hey, we did not harm this guy. We right. Kill him. The cops are like, there must have been an accident, logging, right. somebody's just mad at him. Just, just tell us, tell us where he went. Yeah. Because obviously he's not been adopted. Yeah. Yeah. So just some facts about what Travis reports about that. While he's on the ship, uh, no one makes any vocalizations. But he's not aware of any telepathic communication. Some people ask him that. He said he doesn't know if that's... How's he supposed to know? He's... Well, I mean, he wasn't. He didn't experience that himself. <clears throat> um, you know, people ask him about the movies. And he said, <laughs> you know, from the standpoint of the music, the movie industry, um, they had to tell a story. And that's what they did. He didn't have a lot of say in, um, like, approving or... Di- or, or, or or, or disproving, or you know, just being, uh, I don't like know. The it, yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, he didn't really license. have a lot of a lot of power in that. So they did get things wrong. Um, and he says about hypnosis. So then he's he's hypnotized by somebody who's really quite famous in the um, UFO community. Somebody who's really uh, came came with a lot of credentials, and. Um, he said he didn't recall any experiences under hypnosis that he couldn't remember before, but the hypnosis definitely helped him verbalize his experience without becoming overwhelmed by anxiety. Um, so he didn't really regain lost memories, he said. He still, there's all that chunk of time that is gone. So he didn't ever regain those memories, but he was able to cope with it because when he came back, he said he was a basket case. Like he was so tweaked out and anxious and terrified of life that's a good way to put it yeah that he couldn't even function so that's his that's That's a story that's crazy isn't that crazy it is i mean it's unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah so i told you i mean i'm sure we're going to cover all kinds of stories because i want to talk about in the future benny and barney hill which is another fascinating couple that um were you know they said they were abducted too and were credible people. These are like not people that have a history of hysterics or, or interest in the subject or anybody that's prone to uh, making up stories. These are people who are, are pretty credible as, as, as human beings um, and their story is fascinating too. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some theories um, and, and we can talk about how I mentioned to you when we were, we were talking about the, the physical description of the aliens that it's possible that this is an evolved version of our species that are coming back in time or that time is flexible i guess it's like a multiverse or something and that maybe we've evolved into this and we're coming back mm-hmm. that's one theory but i have another theory or i mean i have one uh, oh, i want to share this is you. like your own theory no one that you've read no it's not my theory but no this is one i stumbled on all right go and ahead. it's sort of a serendipitous or synchronicity sort of situation it kind of ties into what we've been talking about lately you and i personally so all right that how, is that? how it connects to sleep paralysis oh watch here. out mark here we go so studies suggest that neuropsychological 
um, theories are out there, particularly concerning sleep paralysis and the temporal lobe sensitivity, could also explain claims of alien abduction. So sleep paralysis is a feeling of being conscious and unable to move, which occurs when a person passes between stages of wakefulness and sleep. If you have not experienced this, thank God. I don't think I ever have, but I did have, I think I told you, I've told you, I had night terrors when I'm little. And mm-hmm. if you have had night terrors, you are more likely to have sleep disturbances when you're an adult, including sleep paralysis, apparently. No, Experiencers claim, some, claim, claims share characteristics with sleep paralysis, a sense of being awake, not dreaming, realistic perceptions of the environment, the inability to move and feeling fear or dread, and the sense of another presence, perhaps evil or maleficent, or maleficent. Yes, from the Disney story. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Angelina Jolie. Yes, if she's standing there, I would be scared. Um, are common symptoms. Also common are feeling of pressure on the chest and difficulty breathing. Like and a ghost. of being held or restricted to a lying position. Most sleep paralysis attack occur while the individual is lying on their back. So one theory is that people that experience abductions could actually be just having sleep paralysis. Yeah, but that doesn't explain, it doesn't explain how, how he disappears. Uh, well, it doesn't explain this particular story. It doesn't explain how Travis Walton <laughs> like was working. <laughs> He's hanging I'm just out saying with, it's a theory. with his buddies from work, and he, you know... Uh, they see, you know, uh, this this floating orb. Yes. They get out, he gets out of the truck. He right. walks toward it, and all of a sudden, he disappears. Right. Well, somebody could somebody might say a mass delusion. Maybe. I get. I mean, that okay. seems to me that seems well, very this, unlikely. This guy and named Michael Shermer. He says he once collapsed from sleep deprivation following an eighty-three-hour bike race. Uh-huh. But what about the other well, five? I'm going to tell you. That's one person's account. What about the other five? There were five other guys mass who delusion. were there. They all that would had be, a mass delusion? Well, that would be the idea of a mass delusion, more than one. No, no, but I'm saying the other five yes. guys he's with, they all had the same they experience, pers- mm-hmm. a shared experience? A shared mass delusion. It's a, it's a thing. It's one theory. It's I don't bless, theory. I don't it's believe, I don't necessarily subscribe to this but i'm telling you all the theories so this michael Shermer, here's his story he once okay. collapsed he did this 83 hour bike ride just and then his support team rushed to his aid he was caught <laughs> a in late. a waking dream and he so perceived aliens like from the 1960s television series the invaders this is what he remembers um it also can explain this phenomenon can explain some ghost sightings such as the night hag People who've experienced, mm-hmm, because people in this that suffer from sleep paralysis often say similar things. That's so creepy. Oh, oh my God. I know. It's very creepy. But they don't have really, um, they have things that are, um, like they share the similar characteristics. And people think it's it's just really neuroscience that we haven't figured it out yet. <clears throat> if you guys have any experience with this stuff, uh, reach out to us. Like if you're going through this or you... You have a you know a relative, a friend who has had some past experiences or some personal experiences with, with you know uh, this uh, condition. Yeah. Please, like, I mean, if you feel you know uh, like you're able to talk about it, please reach out to us. 
Well, this, so, okay, so this one doctor's working on something about temporal lobe sensitivity, and it's a theory that suggests that temporal lobes of some people's brains are more vulnerable to be influenced from low-level magnetic frequencies. And so um, he believes, they believe that the increased temporal lobe activity can explain paranormal experiences such as an alien abduction. That, 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 that magnetic but, fields stimulate the temporal lobes, resulting in hallucinatory experiences that, similar to those that are reported with that's alien abductees. All, that's, that's certainly plausible. But how do you explain that for, like, that for, you know, like thousands of years, you know, people have been, since they've been able to write on, the, on cave walls. Right that they've been recording. Well, maybe temporal lobe sensitivity is not new. We just have the science to explain it now. I'm just telling I you. I get it, but there's there's got to be something more than that. Because I this think has so. been this has been recorded for like thousands of years by by many like multiple civilizations. I would say the the skeptic would say there are many logical plausible scientific explanations that don't rely on the theory of the existence of aliens to explain them. Who knew now that, like, I'd be the one to jump on the side of the fence. But that's what, like, I'm starting, the more I read about this stuff, the more, like, it's just, like, you have to keep an open mind. Right. And I'm, I mean, that is certainly possible. Like, it could be, you know, all within the mind. Sure. Uh, because obviously, based on you know what I should say, obviously, but based on uh, on Walton's account or what we heard here, it sounds like the human body, the human condition, like the body becomes or you know could potentially become less important. It's more about the mind right. and the the conscious, the subconscious, just yeah. thoughts being well, transferred. Well, I mean, Travis's case is unique in it in that where was he for five days? Was it an elaborate hoax and that he didn't shower or bathe or shave and that he was just hanging out in the woods for five days? And he looked like he could use a meal when he came back, but he wasn't dehydrated. Right. So, I mean, he wasn't sick. Somehow they're taking care of him. Yeah. Or were. Yeah. So what exactly, um, I mean, that doesn't account for that. I believe it's a UFO abduction. And then. That's. That's what occurred. Just well, as he then, said. well, then we got to talk about people that I have followed closely that I believe. Um, it's one of them is Bob Lazar. Explain Bob Lazar. He is the guy that he says that he worked at Site S four, um, which is near Area fifty one. It was on Dolce Air Base. Not even not, does one near Dolce anyway. But Bob Lazar says that he was involved in reverse engineering all of this technology recovered from crafts um, in the 1980s and that he was um, that he was he when he came forward he's kind of been um, demonized and discredited along the way but they've never been able to really discredit him and now which leads me well now we have we now we have stuff from the Pentagon which I know I I sent you to share Mm -hmm. but if you want to follow Bob Lazar on Instagram. He's a fascinating guy anyway. Uh, spell his name. Bob Lazar. Well, you can find him at unitednuclear.com or unitednuclearbob is how he is on Instagram. 
He's a weirdo, like a, in the best way. He's <laughs> clearly brilliant. Like he makes like lasers and stuff in his spare time. Who doesn't do that? He is the guy that said he had Element 115. And the government said, well, that doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. But however, he got his house trashed by the FBI once a year because for, they were looking for something. Well, it doesn't and exist. And then we found out. Don't quote me on this year of how long ago. I think it's only been five years ago where the government goes, oh, yeah, Element 115 does exist. But by the, way, by the way, that's called soft disclosure, which is what I think we're in right now. I think a, hold on. Slow down now. No. I think we, the government, is slowly turning on the tap and trickling out information to prepare us for something. Now – you can ask me what that is. It's the TikTok video, the TikTok footage of the, um, the Navy, so the Navy pilots that they they released all of that tapes of them seeing aircrafts that they can't explain. It's all of this information coming out slowly. People, some people would say it's to prepare us from like a Project Blue Beam, which they're going to simulate an alien invasion to either make us all come together as a or to control us in some sort of fashion. I don't know. But even Trump, he was interviewed by his son in a very strange interview. And when his son asked him about aliens, he said, we've got some really interesting things. And I was like, oh my, what, what are we talking about here? Are we getting ready Probably to Probably always have had some very interesting things. Yep. Like even, it's, you know, you look at situations like Roswell in yeah. Mexico. Oh, yeah. That's the... I don't think it's anything new. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, that's my story. That's my interest in, um, I mean, it's fascinating. It's I'm, the best I'm terrifying. I'm terrified of the subject. But um, it's fascinating. And you go go read up on it. Go find more. Absolutely. Go watch the documentary. Um, tell me what you think. So here we've come to our favorite part of the podcast. It's Jason's turn to tell me about his scary sidebars. But we, he's named it something else. What do you named it? I named it uh, 120 Seconds of Scare. That Oh, okay. Well, and then if you are the person that complained about, um, I don't know, whatever. Uh, now we've, now we've too kept, long? Yeah, well, then you're in trouble. I think this is a long one tonight. But um, we've just kept Jason on track with uh, he only gets 120 seconds. Okay, so tell us what do you have in the news for us. Okay, here we go. In 1948, a U.S. Army colonel claimed to see a bird, quote, as big as a pursuit fighter, three times the largest living bird. This occurred in Alton, Illinois, the same area where Native American legend clams uh, um, enormous Thunderbirds live. Mm, I love Thunderbird legends. Yes. Okay, go. Okay, next. I wasn't ready. You have to be ready. Segment. Wait, no. You're supposed to be ready. I think we definitely have to do uh, like a Thunderbird episode. Here we go. Um, I found this on Reddit.com. This is called uh, uh, the Flatwoods Monster. Uh, this little piece. There's various uh, thoughts about it. Somebody feels as though uh, it's a barn owl. Uh, that's all. Google, uh, that's Google flat, it, the Flatwoods Monster. Yeah, there's a documentary about that, too. Um, Small Town Monsters, I think, does does those documentaries. So, yeah. All right, there you go. Okay. Next. Oh, damn. All right, here we go. This next case here is all about uh, the... Uh, uh, um, this is horrible. Uh, the Goat Man. <gasps> the Goat Man is a well-known cryptid. He's half goat. 
half-man, humanoid beast from America. The creature is known to be very, very dangerous, uh, known to kill people with a bloodstained axe. Ew. Uh, yeah, that's what it says. I, so. Is this my neck of the woods? I think I grew up this. Isn't it Maryland? Is the goat Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's from Maryland. Of oh, yeah. He, yeah, of course he is. Of course he is. Uh, I don't remember having he him was an seen axe. in Bowie, actually. Yeah. Where he's known. Oh, yeah. Known to frequent. You know what I think is? Just a low-frequency um, creature. Next. Okay, next case. Yeah. There has to be a better way to do this. Uh, okay, next case. This guy is called the Nin the Ningen, N-I-N-G-E-N. Yes. The aquatic humanoid form uh, from Antarctica. Uh, this thing looks like a creepy fish man. Uh, like this cryptid is part fish, part man. Uh, looks disgusting. Looks kind of like a squid. Yeah. So Google it. The Ninjin, N-I-N-G-E-N, from Antarctica. It's probably like former Nazis hiding out there. It's disgusting looking. <laughs> Shout out to all Nazis out there. No. Ew. I hope you're in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, this case is actually, uh, this is very credible. A great white shark killed a woman in Maine. Oh, I uh, sent you this. She was swimming off the coast of Maine. Uh, she was from New York City, a oh. woman in her 60s. She was attacked by a great white and killed. It is the first recorded shark attack fatality in Maine's history. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. Don't go in the water. Okay, next case. We've got, uh, you know, when you go to your mailbox, watch out. Be on the lookout for seeds from China. <gasps> Whatever you do, don't eat them. Don't plant them. Don't put them in your tea. I'm planting them. It's probably a, a giant bug from, like, Little House of Horrors. I mean, giant plant from Little House of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> Feed me. Feed if me. you have received seeds from China... Will you email me, please? <laughs> All right. I want to know who you are. Best best one yet right here. No longer in the shadows, the Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public, as my wife told you mm -hmm. just a short while ago. This is straight out of the New York Times. So um, apparently our government, uh, the Pentagon, is going to make some of this juicy info public. Uh, Public. Yeah, they've released some of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, mysterious events and classified briefings will now become fodder for public consumption. And they said in the article they have technology that's not of this world. They're uh, using technology. Talks about... That's uh, what I remember reading. Unidentified flying objects, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so, I mean, be on the lookout for that stuff. More about that at a later date. Soft disclosure. All right, that's Hold your... on, there's still one more. There's one more? Yes. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. The, this one has to do with, uh, oh, speaking of Nazis, Adolf Hitler's alligator. Yeah. It, it just passed away. It, he had an alligator? Adolf Hitler's alligator just passed away how so, long do alligators live this guy lived for 84 years jesus and uh so this alligator was born in uh 
the alligator's name is Saturn, like the planet. He <gasps> was born is it in really? Mississippi. Yes. Born in Mississippi. And then somehow he made his way to Berlin. Yeah. Where they believe that he could have been part of Hitler's personal collection. Wow. Did Hitler name him Saturn? You don't know that? Uh, doesn't say that. You know, the know Nazis the were case. big into the occult. They were. That should be our next they show. Were. But anyway. Nazi occult. Hitler's alligator, uh, 84 years of age. He just passed away. Wow. So, rip to Saturn. Wow, yeah. Interesting. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for the... My pleasure. I love them. All right. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for hanging in there with us. It was a long one tonight, but I hope you uh, got something out of it. And if you want to contact us, follow us at The Couple That Scares Together on Instagram. And you can always email me at the couple that scares together at outlook.com and look for our new website that I'm going to launch under the same name because I bought the domain. Have a great week, guys. Watch out for the reptilians. <gasps> yeah, lizard people everywhere.